Grace, peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In our Old Testament lesson today, we see Joseph's brothers haven't changed much. They are lying and conniving. They have come unto Joseph with a lie. They said that your father has given a command just before he died. Forgive your brothers. For they did evil unto you. Now please forgive them. Joseph's answer is, am I in the place of God? Which is interesting because he kind of is. Uh, why, yes, Joseph, you, you are in the place of God. To a certain extent, O great prime minister of all of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh himself. Anyway, Joseph continues, am I in the place of God? You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. I've only wanted revenge in my life only a couple of times. And even as I speak, sometimes I wonder if it were in my power if I would actually take out my revenge. I have had people come after me before. I've had people try to take my job. Not of late, as far as I know, by the way. No deep state politics here at Grace Lutheran Churches. As far as I know. Um, however, I have had people try to get me fired. I've had people try to get me defrocked to take the, the food from my children's table. I've lost parking spots to mean people. I've had people take my humility. I've had people take my honor. I've had like 10 bicycles stolen from me in my lifetime. But scripture, God says, that vengeance is futile. Revenge makes an excellent motivation for a bad guy in a movie or in a book, but it absolutely has no place in the Christian life. In our New Testament lesson today, Peter asks about forgiveness. Jesus was big on forgiveness. He talked about forgiveness all throughout his ministry, so it, it bears asking, says Peter, where's the limit? How much, how often? Peter offers up Jesus a very confirmation-y answer, right? Peter says, how often should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Seven? It's a great number. We have confirmation coming up in a couple of weeks, and so I always tell the confirmation kids, if you don't know the answer, there's really, there's five top answers, right? God, Jesus, Gospel, Luther, or the Bible. You get the, you're at least halfway right if you get those. If those don't work, you can try justification, faith, hope, love, or soteriology. Now, if it's a number you're looking for, that's even easier. Because if it's a number and it's a confirmation class, you're looking for the number what? Seven and twelve. Right? How many days in a week of creation? Seven. Somebody say Eleven. Seven. Seven days of creation. How many tribes of the nation of Israel? Twelve. We will also take 13, by the way. Um, days of the week? Oh, we did that. Seven. Torches before the throne of God in Revelation? Seven. Yes, there's seven torches before the throne of God in the book of Revelation. How many disciples? Twelve. We will also take 13. Like the tribes. You see how God did that? 
Um, number of judges mentioned in the book of Judges, seven or 12? Eleven. <laughs> you were right. You're, he's like, he's going to trick us. I know he's up or down. He's a 50-50 shot. Yeah, 11 judges in the book of Judges. How many times should I forgive my brother? Peter's like, seven. Seven sounds like a really good, that seems really high, doesn't it? For human beings, we're like, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice for seven times, 70 times, then shame on Jesus. This is his teaching. Seven is not enough, says Jesus. Seventy times seven. Read what he means by that is more times than you can possibly keep up with. So don't bother keeping up. Don't bother keeping the score. If he asks for your forgiveness, forgive him. If he does it tomorrow, forgive him for that too. And keep going on. You know, you just live your life. You do your thing. Let him do his. Remember the massive debt that your father has forgiven you. Christ invented charity. And forgiveness in the Christian life comes out of our theology of charity. You see, Christianity really invented charity. There, there really wasn't much charity in the world before the coming of Christ. The Greco-Roman culture, the Roman culture, the pagan culture that preceded the Christian church, that they did not believe in charity. The Romans saw the pauper as useless under the state. The Greeks thought the exact same thing, by the way. They saw them as unworthy of help of the state. They were a waste of resources. Greco-Roman culture just understood that there was a certain group of people that were just useless. And it didn't matter what you did for them, didn't matter how much you did for them, you were never going to get them to become useful under the state, therefore they were a waste. So when the Romans, or the Greek society for that matter, gave something away, they gave it away to everybody. And it started at the top, and if there was enough, it worked its way down. With a remarkable lack of means testing in the ancient world, everybody got a taste. And that's the way benevolence was, was used. Benevolence was used to buy the goodwill of others or to celebrate the giver. The number one giver in the Roman state was the emperor. He collected the taxes, and then he gave the money back. You know who he gave the money back to? His friends and the people who loved him. That's what counted as charity in the ancient world. It's almost like, a, like, like a, the, the celebrating of a parade, right? When we, when we have a parade, when our team wins a national championship, not that I have any idea what that would be like, but... If your team actually did win like a national champion, they throw parades for these people. We're celebrating the people who are in the parade. And they throw out gifts in the ancient, the ancient world. The Roman emperor would throw himself a parade and he would throw out silver coins and loaves of bread and people would come and, and collect. from. This is what passed for charity. The emperor loved to give away stuff. It bought him goodwill for the people. It made him feel good. It made him look good. It strengthened the state 
in which he was the head of, and by ignoring the poorest, everybody else profited. The day laborer who actually worked for his daily bread was strengthened for his job. The middle class would take some time off, some, some, some well-deserved time off, and the wealthy added unto their holdings, and all of society was made stronger and more loyal, save for the poorest of them who were often just left out, because they were of no account anyway. We have stories, written stories, of wealthy Roman senators sending their servants to pick up their daily allotment of the food distribution. Could you imagine working for a man who owns fields and, and factories in almost every division that you can think of, and you as a servant go to the state to go pick up his welfare check? That's the way the Romans thought it worked best. The only problem with that is the Roman population became more and more hating of work and the more the more seeking of pleasure, they craved every new accessor to power. So every time somebody was like, I want to run for office or I want to depose the emperor or I want to start a revolution, everybody was like, yay! That meant a new round of bribes. Starting from the top and working its way down. Now you think Israel would have practiced charity a whole lot better than maybe the Romans or the Greeks. You might hope that since how they have the Old Testament to guide them, that they would have sort of the same morality when it comes to the giving and charity than we do. Jews were, were compelled by the law to give. That charity was required. The tithe was required. 10% was required. And they dug into each other's businesses to make sure everybody was doing their fair share. Right down to Mama's kitchen window, her little herb garden outside the window, that too had to be tithed off. But their charity lacked freedom of motivation. They didn't give because they wanted to give. They give because they had to. They gave because their neighbors were watching to make sure that they too were giving their fair share. It was bound by law. The amount that was donated or prescribed was mandated. But they got around this because even though it mandated how much they were supposed to give, it didn't tell them who they were supposed to give it to. The method and the measure for whom was given was not specified. So they had full, full freedom to give to whomever they wanted just so long as they were given. This is why Jesus was so angry about the practice of Corbin in the New Testament. Because what they would do is take the 10% that was bound for the temple or for charity within their life, they would take that money and then use it to support their aged parents and then say, this is charity. Even though you already have a, a, a bound obligation to your parents or to your children or to the people around you, you cannot steal from one part and say that this is charity. This is not charity. You already have this obligation. It would be like me saying that I'm not giving tithes to the church because I'm paying my son's tuition in college. The, the paying of that tuition is my responsibility anyway. I can't then say, well, it's charity. I mean, I certainly tell them that it's charity, but I can't tell you that it's charity, not with a straight face. The Jews of the time of Jesus and the Talmud gave arms, but they didn't do it out of charity. They did it as a public performance. They did it as a work of the law, a necessary part of being a good 
citizen, but it was rife with setbacks and kickbacks and exemptions and deals, and it was always based upon law. It was always based upon guilt. It was always based upon making sure everybody saw what you were doing. You see the principle all the time here in America, too. The grocery store that I use likes to ask me when I check out if I want to make donations to charity. I like making donations to charity, by the way. The problem with I have is that I give them the money and then they donate it to the charity and they take that off of their taxes as if they have given out the charity. You saw this just the other day in Maui um, Oprah Winfrey and The Rock but that this big thing going, we have pledged $10 million for the rebuilding of Maui, now give us the money so that we could give it to the citizens of Maui and people saw through it for the first time, I think in forever, and they're like, hey, why don't you give the money, rich people? Instead of me giving you $1,000 so that you can give it in your name to Maui, why don't you just give the money? Instead of asking me to give it to you. Every time I go to the grocery store, I always feel just the pang of, of guilt because they're like, would you like to donate you know, this to that? No. I itemize my taxes. I give, give big checks. I don't know anything about your organization. I don't know what you're going to use it for. I don't know how you're going to use it. I don't know anything about it. I'm not going to get any credit for it. Not that credit is the way that Christians ought to be doing it, but I do, I, I itemize my taxes, so I write some pretty big checks, and I write checks to specific organizations that I want to, to serve. This church, Lutheran World Relief, my seminaries, and the Low Country Pregnancy Center gets about three checks out of me out of me. Those are the charities that I think are important for me to support. Those are the ones that I support. I'm forever getting the side eye sometimes when I'm in a collar and they're like, you want to give to charity? I'm like, no. I promise I do give to charity, just not this one. Christian charity is not, and it ought not be based upon guilt. We do not give to charity out of guilt. The Christian church cannot be conceived without charity. Charity is inherent from our very beginning, not because Jesus taught about charity, but because Jesus himself is the charity of God. Jesus is that offering that God the Father made for the payment of our sins. That's complete and utter charity. He didn't have to do it. This is why Jesus thinks it's so important that we be able to give and to forgive as we have been given and forgiven. There was a man who owed his king 10,000 talents. <coughs> now a talent was a unit of measurement for a year's salary. A year's salary. He owes this guy 10,000 years salary. If American median income is like $50,000, we're talking about a sum of $500 million. You're not going to come up with that picking up some extra shifts at Domino's. This is an outrageous number. He's never going to be able to pay this back. 
So the king is going to sell him and his wife and his children and all that he had, sell it into slavery. But moved by pity, the king cancels the debt because the man falls on his feet and begs him for mercy. You notice that the king canceled the debt. He didn't give him more time. He didn't take what he had and pledge and go, well, that, that's enough. He didn't say, well, you know, pay me what you can. He didn't put you on a payment plan. He just went, this, this number is absorbent. You're never, ever going to pay this off. I will simply, out of my massive amount of generosity, I'm going to forgive your debt and you can go on with your own life. The debt was canceled. The king forgave the debt so the man and his wife and his children could pursue their own vocations. Christian charity is rightly understood as striving to put each and every one of us, man, woman, and child, into such a position that it is possible, so far as we can, to pursue our God-given life tasks, our vocations. Charity is designed to get us to the point where we can be productive and get the things done that we're supposed to do whether it be at work or as father or as employer, employee, mother. There are plenty of hindrances to vocations may be found in the world, and that may be the difference between rich and poor, but those hindrances can also be found in social standing and economically depressed neighborhoods or regions. Some areas are simply more economically advantaged than others. Hindrances can be found in race. They can be found in creed. They can be found in physical fitness and maladies and blindness or palsy. Alcohol and, and drug dependencies bring significant hindrances in allowing somebody to live out their vocation. This, the same can be said for the slothful and the ignorant and the insolent and the doubters and the jaded. Joseph's brothers were concerned. Maybe justifiably they were concerned. They were concerned both financially and spiritually that everything that Joseph had done up until now was being done for show, that Joseph was showing out for his dad and that now that dad was dead, the rules were gonna change. All bets were off. And so they lied. And chances are they lied because they knew full well that this is what they would have done. They were concerned that Joseph was too much like them, less like dad. Your father said, forgive them. They're your servants. Forgive them. God, your father and your king, has seen fit to forgive your debt, a debt of sin that you would have never been able to repay on your own. That debt has been expunged, that you may live out your vocation, that you may live out your calling in this present world, and that you may live out that calling in honor and in light and in success. Therefore, as a child of the light, live in that light, live in that forgiveness, and pay your dues, as Paul told us last week in our New Testament lesson. If you owe somebody something, just pay it. 
your massive debt has been expunged. All the rest of those little debts, they're, they're, they're child's play. They're, they're pennies on the dollar, so to speak. If you owe taxes, pay your taxes. If you owe revenue, pay your revenue. If you owe customs, pay customs. If you owe love, pay love. If you're owed honor, give honor. If it's respect, pay respect. If, if you owe an apology, make it fully, tearfully. If you're gifted with an apology, be grateful. Forgive as you have forgiven, as you have been forgiven. As the Father has mightily been generous with you, you go, you go and do likewise. And be mightily generous with those around Freely, honestly, justly, knowing that your Father approves. In Jesus' name, amen.